Welcome to the Legacy of Andal Street podcast series. The podcast you're about to listen to is an interview of freelance journalist and author Wendy Moore, conducted by Aneta Baniak. In this particular podcast, Wendy tells us about the amazing women who ran the Andal Street Military Hospital in London during the First World War, to whom she has decided to dedicate her next book. Here's what Wendy had to say. Wendy, to begin with, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I'm a journalist by training and an author, so I've written four non-fiction books on medical and social history. And I'm currently writing my fifth book, which is about the Endell Street Military Hospital. Great. Why did you choose non-fiction books? I did for quite a while want to write a novel, so I did try creative writing. But I'm a journalist by background, so I'm used to dealing with facts and interviewing people. But I'm also interested in stories, telling stories. So really that's what drove me to want to write a book that was non-fiction, but with a strong narrative. So in the 1990s, books were being published as popular non-fiction for the first time. It became quite a thing. So I realised that as a journalist, I had the skills to write a book with a strong story, but all based completely on facts. So it all came naturally to you, the non-fiction. In some ways, I think I use my journalistic Mm. skills to Mm. find information, to uh, conduct interviews and then to tell the story. So I feel like I'm doing what, in a sense, is part of my background and my training. How did you find out about Endell Street Hospital and what inspired you to write a book about it? Well, it's some time ago, some, I think about 10 years ago, when I was in the Wellcome Library, which is the Library for History of Medicine. And I saw a picture there, which is a beautiful painting of women doctors in the operating theatre. And I'd never seen anything like this before. So they were all women surgeons, anaesthetists, treating a man in an operating theatre. And I wanted to know what that story was. So I did a little bit of digging and discovered about the Endell Street Military Hospital. But I was writing other books at that time, so I put it on hold for then. Eventually, I came back to that story. And I've been extremely lucky because Dr. Jenny and Geddes, who's already done a lot of research and writing about the hospital, has very graciously uh, given me her blessing to write a book about it. So that's been very important. How did you find the whole process? Have there been any challenges and or rewards or surprises? Uh, yes, lots of challenges, lots of rewards and lots of surprises, I'd say. It's, I think one of the biggest challenges is that it's a big story in that there were about nearly 200 women who worked at the hospital. They treated several thousand men. So all those people have got their own stories, which potentially I could follow. But I'm also writing about a hospital in the middle of the First World War, about which there has been absolute masses already written. So in one sense, the biggest challenge is almost too much information. So I have to hone that down and tell a story through it, through different voices. So I knew that it was um, a really interesting story that these women were running a hospital throughout the First World War. But I wanted strong voices to be able to make that come to life. What happened to Endell Street Hospital after World War I ended? Well, when the war ended, it was planned that the hospital would stay open for about a year in order to treat men still coming back from the battlefields who were sick or wounded. 
and for a, a while they treated British prisoners of war. But in the winter of 1918-1919, the flu pandemic then hit the world and killed something like 100 million people, so more people than were killed in the First World War and Second World War combined. So during that period, very quickly, the hospital filled up with flu victims. So they were treating men, soldiers who developed the flu. Some of their own staff became sick with the flu and some of them actually died. Something like a half dozen staff died. So it was a really difficult and very depressing period for the women. Throughout the war, they'd saved so many men's lives and the death rate during the Spanish flu, as it was so-called, was actually higher. So I think it was a really depressing period. But at the end of 1919, it was decided that the hospital should close. And so finally, in early 1920, the women gave the keys back to the war office. So after that, the building went through various different purposes uh, used by government offices for different things. At one point, it was actually used to store medical records, interestingly. But in the 1970s, it was demolished. And today, there are council flats on the premises. So the only thing that survives or anything that tells us it was ever there is a plaque, which uh, commemorates the hospital on that site. My next question is about women. How did the women who worked at Endell Street Hospital feel about their future? Were they excited and hopeful about new possibilities or were they rather apprehensive about the new chapter in their lives? And how did their expectations measure against reality? I think nobody really knew what to expect mm. when the war ended. And obviously people were pleased the war had finished. But at the same time, you hear lots of people when the armistice was sounded who were in tears because there wasn't much to celebrate in a way because so many people had died. Everybody knew somebody who died. So I think it, the war had been an incredibly exhausting, stressful, tiring time for all the women who worked at Endor Street. And I think they were all exhausted and, you know, very depressed in lots of ways, traumatised in some ways from dealing with so many men with so many wounds. So they didn't really know what to expect. They were kind of staring into an abyss in some ways. Throughout the war, it was said repeatedly that women had now proved they could do the same jobs as men in all sorts of fields. But particularly in medicine, it had been said by the newspapers, by politicians, by people in the medical profession, leaders of the medical profession, that women doctors had proved they could do the same jobs as men. So in many ways, women doctors were led to believe they could then carry on doing what they had been doing. But in fact, that wasn't the case. So after the war, male doctors came back from the front. Of course, they wanted their jobs back in hospitals and in general practices. So women who'd been doing those jobs were barred from those jobs effectively. So there was a backlash, basically, in the 1920s. Medical schools which had opened to women throughout the war closed their doors to women now. Um, hospitals which had taken women on in training posts or in full-time jobs, again, they gave priority to men, especially men who'd been involved in the war. So women doctors in particular really had no choice but to go back to doing exactly what they had been doing before the war, which was basically to treat women and children to work in low-paid, low-status jobs in Britain or quite often going overseas. So I think there was um, a huge disappointment and, and a lot of anger as well in lots of ways. 
Flora Murray uh, died shortly after the war. Can you tell us about the circumstances of her death and also did this even have any impact uh, on the women involved in Endell Street Hospital, particularly uh, Louisa Garrett Anderson with whom Flora Murray ran the hospital? Well, F- Flora Murray was, um, I think she was 50 years old when the hospital actually closed. And I think she was particularly exhausted, completely worn down by the effort of running this hospital. In some ways, she bore the brunt of the whole exercise because she was the, the main commanding officer. She had to run this hospital with military precision, so, and she did it incredibly well. She had this mixture of being quite stern, but also quite gently encouraging people. So she'd really given everything to her work in running the hospital. And afterwards, she more or less retired to the country with Louisa Garrett Anderson. For a little while, they did try to work uh, in their private practice and they continued to run the children's hospital they were running before the war and during the war. But that closed down for lack of funds in 1921. So four years after the hospital closed, she died of cancer. And she was only 54 years old. So I think really the experience of running the hospital had just completely taken it out of her. And it's interesting too, a lot of women who worked at Endor Street, especially the doctors, a lot of them did die of cancer. And I think it's a fact that there were very few precautions in in, um, the x-ray room in hospitals at those times. People didn't really understand the dangers of using x-rays. So I, I think a lot of women were probably contracted cancer because of that exposure. So she died, I think it's incredibly sad. At her funeral, the last post was sounded and she was buried in the churchyard of the village in Penn where Louisa and Flora had lived. And on her grave, the words, we have been gloriously happy. So she, she and Louisa were partners, life partners, as well as working together as in, the, in the hospital. And so I think it was incredibly sad for Louisa to lose her lifelong partner. And Louisa lived for another 20 years. She wasn't particularly active in public life after that. She did volunteer in the Second World War, working at the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson Hospital. But she then died during the Second World War, and also of cancer, in fact. So I think think a lot of women who'd worked at Endor Street did think, and in fact Nina Lust did say, that Flora had given her life for the hospital, which I think is true. Thank you. Now let's talk about Louisa Garrett Anderson. She was a suffragette uh, actively fighting for women's rights before the war. I'm curious, was she as active after the war? And if yes, could you tell us a little bit about her activism? Well, both Louisa and Flora had been very strong, active suffragettes before the war. During the war, they continued that activity in that Endell Street Hospital was dedicated to showing that women could do what men could do. So gaining the vote in 1918 was almost in recognition of of women's war work. But it was only ever a symbol. So women suffragettes, women doctors, always always saw the vote as being symbolic of further rights. So they wanted um, equal pay, equal opportunities, equal rights for women as well. So both of them through the war did continue to campaign for those measures. And after the war, they both really more or less retired. So there are some examples where Louisa did argue for various aspects of women's rights. For example, she wrote to the Times about women doctors being paid equally in the army. But on the whole, uh, they really more or less, I think they'd 
were, as I say, quite exhausted by their experiences, so they did more or less retire from public life. Endell Street Hospital attracted many female doctors from abroad. When the war ended, did they return to their home countries or did they stay in England? Uh, there were four or five, I think, doctors from Australia who worked at the hospital, one doctor from Canada in particular. And as far as I'm aware, they all did return to their home countries. And when they returned, they faced exactly the same issues that the women in Britain had faced, in that they were they had shown they could do the same jobs as the male doctors, but when they got back to their home countries, they were passed over for jobs by men always. So priority for jobs in hospitals in Australia was given to male doctors, and in particular to doctors who'd served in the war. The situation was similar in Canada. There, Evelyn Windsor, who'd been a brilliant student, medical student, she'd worked at Endell Street as an anaesthetist. While she was there, she married, but she carried on, although she was pregnant, she carried on working in the operating theatre. She returned to Canada. She had three children. She actually separated from her husband, but she kept the youngest child with her. She too couldn't go into a job the same as a man. But what she ended up doing was she worked for 20 years on a native Canadian reserve. So it was a reserve for the Six Seeker First Nation. And for 20 years, she, ran, she was their medical officer. So she helped with dealing with TB. And as a recognition of what she did, she was created a member of the tribe. So that was a very rare thing. So she did amazing work there, I think. So how did she find the experience? Was it rewarding for her or not so much? I honestly don't know because mm. the information I've got is from her family mm. who know something about her work. Mm. And I think she was incredibly committed to what she was yeah. doing. And she campaigned on behalf of those people. She campaigned to have a, a wing built at the hospital there that would deal with TB. So she was very devoted to what she did. I, I assume she must have found it rewarding, yes. Thank you. Now... Who do you think achieved the most or the least professionally and what were the reasons for it? And did the success come at a price? I think it's difficult to say who achieved the most. None of the women who worked at Endor Street continued in surgery. So that was a huge waste of their talents because they had been working in a military hospital doing exactly the same work as men with the same standard. So none of them went into surgery. But Helen Chambers, who was the pathologist at Endor Street, who'd had um, quite a glittering career before she went there, uh, she went back into cancer research at the Middlesex Hospital. And she pioneered work um, treating women with cervical cancer with radiotherapy. And she also helped to found the Marie Curie Hospital in Hampstead. So she probably achieved most in terms of medical advances. But also Vera Scantabry in Australia Her work uh, setting up infant welfare clinics and improving infant mortality also made a huge contribution to public health in that field. So lots of women did do important things, mainly in the areas of public health and prevention, not in the glamorous areas like surgery. It, you know, their, their talents were wasted in some ways, but I think in terms of who achieved the least, that's a difficult question to answer. I suppose you could say in terms of potential that Flora and Louisa, who'd you know, done this incredible job for five years and then retired, that was perhaps a shame, really. They could have gone on to do far more, but I think they had achieved enough as it was. Now, a little bit about their private lives. 
When the war finished and the hospital closed, what was outlook of the women who were involved in Endel Street Hospital on marriage? Did they follow willingly or not traditional path of marriage or did they reject it? Did they sacrifice their ambition for the sake of marriage or was it actually the opposite? Did their career become their priority? And which attitude prevailed? Or maybe there were amazing instances of women who had it all. Well, before the war, most women doctors did not marry. Mostly, It was quite common for women doctors to be single and quite often to live together because that was a convenient way of combining career interests and living with somebody who had the same sort of views as you. Flora and Louisa in particular had quite strong views about marriage. They were very anti-marriage. I think on the main principle that uh, for women doctors, it was a diversion from their main purpose. So they thought women who got married would give up medicine or couldn't contribute to medicine quite as well. So in a, in a way, that was um, reflecting the view of the time that women who got married, you know, often they were not allowed to carry on in their jobs and it was thought they couldn't contribute in the same way. There were, of course, women who did get married who, well, while they were at Endor Street, Evelyn Windsor, the Canadian doctor, She suddenly got married and it was a big surprise to everybody. She arrived at the hospital one day and said, I'm getting married today at 10 o'clock. And they were all completely amazed and rushed to the wedding. She then had three children, but the marriage didn't end happily. So they did separate. So I think for most women doctors afterwards, it was easier not to marry. So that's why quite a lot of the women after the war still uh, lived together as partners, either for simple sort of reasons of convenience or perhaps as life partners as well. One doctor, Rachel Champion, who was another Australian surgeon, who, while she was at Endor Street, she was regarded as being one of the most talented of the doctors there. She was highly accomplished. She was uh, one of the most senior doctors at Endor Street. She married during 1917 to another army officer, an Australian officer, and went on to have three children. And then they went back to Australia. So she never worked again as a doctor, which is a fairly typical situation. And there's a very poignant story when her son was about five years old and she said something about when I was a doctor in the war and he said don't be silly mummy women are nurses doctors are men and uh, you couldn't have been a doctor I think that's just very telling. Just a couple of questions Wendy could you please tell us your opinion about Endel Street Hospital how do you think it contributed to women in medicine? Did it contribute? That is a good question. It's clear that Endor Street Hospital proved that women doctors could do exactly the same jobs as men. They proved they could run a hospital, that they could do military surgery, that they could do with trauma, that they could do all the jobs that men doctors were doing, both on the home front and abroad. And this was recognised by newspapers at the time, by politicians by the head of the Army Medical Service, who was a great supporter of Endor Street, Alfred Keogh. And he said it would never again be said that women could not do the same jobs as men in medicine. So it did prove that point. Of course, after the war, things went back to how they had been before. So women doctors were again denied their equal rights, denied equal pay, denied opportunities again. So perhaps in some ways you can see that it achieved nothing. But I think it did subtly change opinions. 
so that instead of um, the medical profession saying that women weren't up to the job, they can no longer say that they had to come up with different excuses. So I think over time, the fact that it had proved beyond all doubt that women doctors were capable of the same skills and achievements as men, that did eventually have an effect. Thank you, Wendy. That was wonderful. And now I'm just looking forward to your book. Okay, thank you very thank much. Thank you. This is part of a series of Heritage podcasts created by Digital Drama with support from the Heritage Lottery Fund. We would like to thank the project's archive partners, the Women's Library LSE and Camden Borough Archives, as well as Annie Fox, Wendy Moore, Tudor Allen and Dr. Jenny Ann Geddes for taking part in the recordings. We are also grateful to Dr. Heather Sherd and the residents and staff of Dudley Court Sheltered Housing. The volunteers who have worked on the creations of these podcasts were Elise Hill, Mary Marimutu, Aneta Baniak, Zoe Gelber, Sarah McLean, Renata Rothwell, Joan Phillips, Ruby Hornsey, Sarah Davidson, Rachel Prosser, and Charlie Foreman. And the readings are by Elise Hill, Freddie Chick and Sarah McLean. The podcasts were recorded on location at Dudley Court and in the Maiden Lane Community Centre recording studios with the assistance of Violet MacDonald and Marianne Larragie from Camden Community Radio. Music